Bonjour and bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we review, rate, and rank all the kings and emperors of France, from Clovis to Napoleon III. Who will be selected as the creme de la creme, and who will be sent to the guillotine? Je m'appelle Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. We finally did a cohesive intro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Eliza, comment ça va? I can answer in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> so this is episode de. De. Yeah. And this week we are talking about King Clothar the First, aka Clothar the Old. That's what I'm he's known by. There's one called the Young. Was it just there? A- Maybe in the future, one called Clothar the Young. Clothar the First was born around 497, so just before 500, uh, to the Frankish king Clovis, the first ever king of all the Franks, and Saint Clotilda of Burgundy, who brought Christianity th- to the Franks. So big parents, hard acts to follow. True. <laughs> I would say. Eliza, what do you remember of King Clovis from when we recorded last week? Was not to do with the bees, but um, I remember that he united them all. And his dad had the bees, yeah, his dad had the bees, yep. but he um, united everyone, like you know, had little skirmishes here and there with some others, you know, killed some people, fought some battles, won them. Yeah, I mean, not just skirmishes, he conquered all yeah. most of what is now France, yeah, from just a tiny little um kingdom, tiny in little the, blip, yeah. So he's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And then we've got St. Clotilda, who's this huge uh, figure in terms of the Frankish church. I did overlook a couple of things when we were doing Clovis because it was a long episode. Yeah. There was a lot to fit in. Um, so I had to skim over some things. Gregory of Tours has dedicates an entire book of his Historia Francorum on Clovis, which is not the case for any of the other kings that we're going to be talking about in the okay. Merovingian period. So in the voulez-vous round, which is the round of how would you have liked to be their subject, um, I forgot to talk about the First Council of Orléans, which was a council of church bishops from across Gaul, which was used to create a unified Catholic church under Frankish rule. So Clovis is not only converting to Christianity, but he's also helping to organise the church a bit. Okay. And there's a few important outcomes from this. So it clearly defined the boundaries between the jurisdictions of different bishops because things have been chaotic for a while. Not sure whose rule was in which place. Um, It made royal gifts to the church immune from taxation. So like if Queen Clotilda wants to give some land to the church, that land can't be taxed. So it helps the church get lots of money. It outlawed Aryan teachings. So the teachings of the heretical Christians and Important for a couple episodes or an episode in the future, it created the law of sanctuary, (laughs) uh, whereby a criminal, fugitive, or just someone with a lot of enemies uh, can seek sanctuary in a church and cannot be removed or harmed. Oh, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And this is actually a legal precursor to the modern right of asylum. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, if someone's fleeing persecution in the country or they've been outlawed in, the, in, a, yeah. in a different country, they can flee to another country and claim right of asylum. It's like that, but the church is like almost like an embassy where it's like kind of uh, immune from, from uh, secular laws. 
However, while this is a major good point that I left out, I think our voulez-vous score of 14 still ultimately reflects Clovis pretty well. Yeah, I wasn't going to change my score. Yeah, ultimately I think we can agree that more church authority isn't necessarily a good thing. Yeah, especially later on. Yeah, just because the sources that we use are painting it as good, a good thing doesn't mean it's necessarily good for everyone. Um, so the Counts, Council of Orléans, which is what I'm talking about here, may sort of cancel, cancel itself out, I okay. think, in terms of whether or not you'd want to live under it. Yeah. But it's nice that Clovis sponsored it and it was concerned about the organisation of the church in his newly forged kingdom. Um, and I, But I think, it, yeah, it falls into the same category as the Salic law, which we were talking about, mm. where there's good stuff and bad stuff in it. And it's good that there was laws and people were thinking about this stuff, but it has good and bad from like a modern perspective, I think. So Clovis, uh, he did very well, but he lost points for no ooh-la-las, yeah. uh, which is going to so change. So vanilla. It's a bit vanilla, but it's going to change a bit in this episode. Yay. This episode is a bit of a roller coaster. Yes. A um, bit of a scandal. Yeah. Also, he lost points. Uh, Clovis lost points for Enchante because his image was slightly underwhelming. Oh, yeah. And his reign as king of all the Franks wasn't very long. Mm. It was only a few years. Um, but we did give him um, a little scoop of half points for his 28 years as a sort of petty king or partial ruler in the Vion Throne round. Yeah. And we're going to get a few of those in the next few episodes where they rule part of the kingdom uh, for a while. There's a lot of squabbling and inheriting. Yeah, well, yeah. So we're here to talk about Clovis's son, Clothar. Clothar. Who will be our next Merovingian king to rule all the, flank- the Franks. So the name Clothar... Um, which you weren't sure how it's pronounced. Yeah, because it's spelled C-L-O-T-H-A-R. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Clothar. I don't know. Um, it, I read it as Clothar. <laughs> in French, it is Clotair. I also read it as Clotair as well. Yeah, it's C-L-O-T-A-I-R-E. Um, I like Clotair. Yeah, Clotair. Clotair. Yeah, um, so what the name means, it's a mixture of the Germanic elements Clod, meaning fame or glory, which is the mm-hmm. same as in Clovis's name and yeah. Clotilda's name. They've got that clo at the start. Um, and har, which means army or warrior, which mm. is the same har that is in the name Harold. Oh. Um, there's a few other names with har in it. Um, so his name means glorious warrior or glorious army. I guess we'll have to see if he lives up to his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we don't know anything about his early life up to his father's death. Merovingians aren't very concerned with what the children are doing because they, you know. Children. You don't want to get invested in the children because they could die immediately. (laughs) It's like, we'll invest with them after they become an adult. Yeah, yeah. Once you've proven that you can survive past the age of five, then maybe we'll, like, we'll think about you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he was the, he was actually the youngest of Clovis's four surviving sons. Um, Um, And he was brought up a Roman Catholic. Okay. Mother having gone out of the way to baptize her children, despite Clovis's misgivings, but then he he eventually gave in. Obviously, became the first major barbarian king to become Catholic. Clovis died around five eleven, or maybe five thirteen. We're not sure. I think the Pontifex podcast, which relies on the Liber Pontificalis, <laughs> the record of the popes, will probably argue that it's five thirteen and that our score is wrong because they they've been using that as their source. Um, but we're going to say 511 because we're mean and we want people to have <laughs> short lives. Um, also, that's just the date that I saw everywhere. That's the Wikipedia date. Oh. 
Because Wikipedia is so reliable. When in doubt, just, you know, trust Wikipedia. It's fine. It's not as bad (laughs) as people say. Okay, so in his will, Clovis divided the Frankish lands with each son based in a different city. Okay. So Theodoric, remember Theodoric? Yep. He's Clovis's half-brother. Yeah. And he's the oldest by about 10 years. Okay. He reigned in the cities of Metz and Reims with lands going into Germany. So he's in the northeast Rhine. sort of, or oh, sort of middle, sort of middle east. He's in the <laughs> central east of France. And he also has lands in Auvergne, which is in the middle. Okay. So he's got these two sort of separate territories, but by far has the biggest in terms of area. Then you've got Clodomer. He reigned from the city of Orléans mm-hmm. and he ho- held a lot of the southeastern kingdom. So around the border of Burgundy yeah. is what he ruled. And Orléans was his capital and Orléans is just a bit south of Paris. Yeah. And then we've got Childebert, the third son. <laughs> the son. Um, he reigned in Paris and he controlled all of the left of France, <laughs> the west Paris of France. Paris the capital then? Well, it had a few different capitals. Clovis, in, in Gregory of Tours' account, he says Clovis established the seat of his kingdom at Paris, but kings move around a lot. Yeah, yeah. They have, like, sort of villas everywhere, and they, they move around a lot because it's hard to just administer the kingdom from one mm, central place. Yeah, especially in that time period. Yeah, communication's not great. So you have to move around to do, to do um, justice. Kinging. Yeah. And Clovis was very good at that. He moved around a lot, which is probably why he died at 45. He was just a bit tired. (laughs) And then Clothar, the king that we're talking about, reigned in Soissons. Soissons. So that's in the north. Yep. And his territory was based around basically Belgium. Oh, okay. So he actually has the smallest land in terms of area. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's actually kind of the richest per capita area because the Franks were already very established there. They'd worked out their sort of tax system and their lands and the people there are more loyal. So it's actually a pretty good starting spot, even though it's smaller than the other kingdoms. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think we could possibly have deducted Voulez-Vous points from Clovis for dividing up his kingdom. Yeah. We didn't really get into that last episode. But everyone's doing it at this yeah, time. Yeah, it's kind of hard to. Yeah, like we talked about the Burgundian kings doing it and the, the Goths also do it a bit. Um, it's just a thing that they do. So I don't think we should judge mm. based on that because primogeniture, which is when you give everything to the first son. Yeah, they were trying to re- avoid like more fighting in the family. Yeah, but primogeniture, when you, when you give it to the first son, isn't going to be like even heard of for another like few hundred years. Oh, well, yeah, then we can't deduct points off that. Yeah. Um, so these brothers also had a sister, Clotilda Jr., <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, who gets married to the Visigoth king Amalric. Oh. And unfortunately, she gets badly treated there oh. because she refuses to convert to Arianism, oh. the Arian heresy. So we get a period of nothing much from Gregory of Tours, who is still our source. We're still having Gregory of Tours. Um, for the first decade or so of Clothar and his brother's reigns, we get a mention of two of the brothers, uh, Theodoric and Childebert, exchanging hostages, which is a thing. So you'd be like, I'll give you my son, you give me your son. And that sort of ensures peace uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because, you know, if if one of them goes to war against the other one, you like slit the throat. And yeah, yeah. this happens a lot in Japanese history, actually, yeah, the giving hostages. Yeah. yeah. And then we've also got, 
Another player who's not really on the map, but is still doing things behind the scenes is Clotilda Senior, the Queen Dowager. She's sort of retired to a chaste monastic life in Tour, um, but she still seems to exercise some control over her sons. She's kind of an advisor to them. And she advises them to go and kick the butts of her Burgundian cousins. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she doesn't have any good feelings there. Yeah. So there are currently two kings in Burgundy. Their names are Sigismund and Godemar. And they are the sons of Gundabad. Oh, Remember Gundabad? Gundabad? Yeah. So Gundabad was Clotilde's uncle who murdered. He's the one that I did like. God Giesel. Yeah, God Giesel. Yeah, God Giesel was a nice name. one. But unfortunately, uh, Gundabad defeated God Giesel and God Giesel didn't have any sons. Um, but God Giesel was Aryan, so we kind of didn't want him anyway. All right. Yeah. Um, but Gundabad's sons, how are they? Were they bad? <laughs> they are Catholic, but I think Catilda ha- still has this grudge because oh. Gundabad killed her parents. True. <laughs> Um, She's like, you ain't no cousins of mine. You killed my father, prepare to die. And, like, drowned my mother, which seemed a bit unnecessary. I'm not yeah. sure why he did that. And probably would have tried to kill her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Clotilda, even though Gundabad's dead by this point, he grew old and died, Clotilda wants to punish the sons for the sins of the father. Uh. Um, so she gets her sons to band together, and they go on a big war to crush the Burgundians. Unfortunately, in the process of this war, Clodomer loses his life, Aww. one of the older brothers. Uh, so Clotilda's eldest son at this point. So that's one brother checked off the list. <laughs> one down? Yeah. So when Clodomer dies, Clodomer has a wife called Gunthuk, Guntheok, something like that. She's married to Clothar. Because oh. she's obviously some kind of wealthy noblewoman. Yeah, they still want her, like... Yeah, they want her wealth to stay in the family. So she marries Clothar, which is technically incest, according to the Catholic Church. Because <laughs> according to the Catholic Church, like, your in-law is, like, your... Well, oh, like, becomes your relative. like, um, Henry VIII. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that hasn't quite caught on among the Franks. They haven't quite got the message about that. They're still kind of doing whatever they want, and if the church disagrees with it, they have to deal with, like, the fact that the Franks have axes that they can throw at anyone at any time. Um, so it's, like, loose laws. Yeah. So Theodoric, yep. meanwhile, he's handling matters in the East. He's leading the war, along with his son Theodobert. So we got Theodoric and his son Theodobert. You might need just, to... Can we just call him Bert for short? Bert. But there's Childebert as well. So... <laughs> You might actually need to start drawing a family tree, like, yeah. at this point. Well, we, we will have a family tree on our blog. Yeah. So if at any point in this episode you you start to struggle, just go on your phone, go go to go to battleroyalepodcast.wordpress.com and just go to the blog for this episode and you'll see it, the family tree and the names of everyone. But you don't have to worry too much. Just Theodoric, all of his descendants are called Theo something. Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah. So Theodoric is leading the war with his son, Theodobert. And Theodobert is about the age of Clothar. Okay. So it's a situation where you have, like, a half-uncle who's about the same age as you. Oh. Yeah. And he calls Clothar to help him fight against the Thuringii, who are tribe even further east. Oh, yeah. So they beat the Burgundians, and then they go to the Thuringii. So they've taken over? They've taken over Burgundy, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Or at least the uh, Clothar's brothers have. Uh, Theodoric controls Burgundy, basically. So he cl- calls Clothar in to help him fight against the Thuringii. And the Thuringian king, Hermanfred, 
apparently had, quote, done wrongs to Theodoric, probably sort of raping and pillaging in his lands. Um, And once the Franks got past the ditches that the Thuringii had dug to hinder their horses, um, quote, there such a slaughter of the Thuringii took place that the bed of the stream was filled with heaps of corpses and the Franks crossed upon them as if on a bridge to the further shore. Lovely. Very bloody war. Even though, yeah. So the Franks do a lot of plundering and subjugating of the Thuringii and Herman Fred uh, gives up and he pledges allegiance to Theodoric. Uh, but he dies soon after because apparently Theodoric pushes him off a wall. <laughs> <laughs> so Theodoric... It's like, whoops! Yeah, so Theodoric is a bit of a brutal older brother. Um, and soon he's going to turn his gaze towards Clothar. Uh-oh. Who's on campaign with him currently. And the story is a little bit bizarre. So I'm just going to read the whole quote. So Theodoric wished to kill his own brother, Clothar, and preparing armed men secretly, he summoned him on the pretext that he wished to consult him privately. And stretching a tent cloth in one part of the house from one wall to the other, he ordered armed men to stand behind it. So he's got men hiding behind a a curtain. That's not suspicious. (laughs) And since the cloth was somewhat short, the feet of the armed men were in full sight. Clothar learned of this. So he hadn't even reached the house yet. And his men are already telling him, like, Psst, there's, like, armed men there. We can well, see their I feet. I see some feet. feet yeah. There. So Clothar learned of this and came to the house with his men armed also. Wow, I'm surprised he didn't up. Yeah. No, he's like, well, if you're going to have armed men here, I'm going to have mm-hmm. armed men here. Yeah. And Theodoric perceived that he had learned of these things and he made a pretense and talked of one thing or another. Finally, not knowing how to put a good appearance on his stratagem, he gave him, as a favour, a great silver dish. So he's invited him over. To on, kill him. To kill him. But he's like, I'll just give you this present instead, because this is a bit awkward. And Clothar said goodbye and thanked him for the gift and returned to his place of encampment. But Theodoric complained to his people that he had lost his dish for no evident reason. And he said to his son, Theodobert, Go to your uncle and ask him to give you of his own free will the gift I gave him. He went and got what he asked for. In such stratagems, Theodoric was very skillful. <laughs> it's such a weird episode where it's like, it's like what's happening here? <laughs> kid fighting over the dish. Yeah. Like, He's like, oh, I shouldn't have given him the dish. Son, go get the dish. I uh, want it back now. It's so petty. Does the dish play an important role? No, no, it never comes up again. Oh. It's not Chekhov's dish. Uh, <laughs> so during the war with the Thuringii, Clothar is also meant to have captured and maybe forcibly married a princess called Radagund, who is the niece of King Hermafred, the Thuringian oh, king. Yeah. This is possibly a bigger mismarriage since Gregory just told us he married Gunther. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, still got a bit of pagan anyways. So. Yeah, still got a bit of that. Well, we'll see this a bit in the Ulala round. We'll get into how many wives exactly Clothar Ooh, has. Yes. So now back in Soissons, which is Clothar's city, mm-hmm. after the war, Clothar starts to do some plotting mm-hmm. with his other brother, Childebert. Oh, right, Childebert. Because they've established control over the king of Orléans, which Clodomer owned. So Clodomer, husband of Gunther, oh, yeah. slash their brother. Yeah, who died. Who died. But Clodomer has sons, young oh. sons, and they're still alive and they're being looked after by the elderly Queen Clotilda in Tours. Okay. 
So Childebert whispers to Clothar. He says, our mother keeps our brother's sons with her and wishes them to be kings. You must come swiftly to Paris, where we will take counsel together and discuss what ought to be done about them, whether their hair shall be cut and they be treated like the rest of the common people, or whether we shall kill them and divide our brother's kingdom between ourselves equally. So this is the first instance we find of hair cutting being an important thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So remember Clovis had the long, luxurious locks? Yes. This is going to be a thing throughout the Frankish kings, where having long hair is like a symbol of... Power, Power, yeah, because the nobles wear their hair very long. The Merovingians are actually also nicknamed the long-haired kings. Oh. Um, and when you are, when your hair is cut off, that is a symbol of you being um, disowned. Oh, like disgrace. Yeah, so you're no longer part of the royal family anymore. You're no longer eligible to inherit the throne. Oh. And it's often accompanied by you being put in a monastery to sort of serve there and just be kept an eye on so it's a it's a bit it's a merciful prism yeah it's well the, the prisons don't really exist in this period yeah so, so the monastery is kind of like there yeah don't think of like later middle ages where they have like dungeons no no i was thinking of like the monastery is kind of like you know like the prison yeah so yeah you put the people you're a bit cautious about in there and then you like yeah say, yeah you're serving god but i'm really just keeping an eye on you yeah well this is going to come up quite a bit um in this podcast where yeah. somebody will be held prisoner. But when I say held prisoner, don't think of them like chained to a wall. Just think of like house arrest. Yeah. And it's actually, there's a lot of stories of people escaping. So, <laughs> so Clothar, uh, he likes the sound of this plan to go and uh, secure their nephews so they can figure out what to do with them. Um, so he comes to Paris and the brothers, Clothar and Childebert, pretend they're going to accept their nephews as new kings. So they mm-hmm. send a letter to Clotilda and they're like, look, we want to be our nephew's guardians and look after them, train them up to become good little kings. Clotilda is delighted and she sends the boys over. Uh, she was, over her eyes. Yeah. She was very sad that Clotilda died, but she adores her little grandsons and is very p- pleased that her sons are being nice and mature and honouring their brother's memory in such a lovely, mature way. And also consider that Clothar is not only their uncle, but also now their stepfather. Oh, Because right. he married their mum. <laughs> yeah. But when she has sent the sons away, Clotilda has, a guy called Arcadius, a messenger from Childebert and Clothar, comes to the queen with a pair of scissors and a sword. He tells her, pick one, the fate of your grandsons. I.e. they will either have their hair cut or be put to death. Ooh. And she has to decide. Gosh. Clotilda is mad <laughs> that she has been hoodwinked. Uh, and in a rather badass slash cold-blooded move, she picks the sword. What? Yeah. Remember last episode where I was like, this is not the first time Clotilda will greet stoically greet the death of a child? All right. Because, yeah. So she picks the sword and she says, it is better for me to see them dead rather than Sean if they are not raised to the kingship. I prefer for them to die. Yeah. So this news gets to Childebert and Clothar and they say, all right, mom. And they proceed to personally murder their, ne- their nephews. And we'll get to this in Ulala because it gets worse. Oh. Uh, that story gets worse, but th- those nephews are dead. Uh, <laughs> the kingdom of Orléans, which uh, Clodomer held is divided equally between Childebert and Clothar. 
Lothar has taken the first step in becoming king of all the Franks. And uh, Clotilda doesn't have much else to do in the story, sadly, but she's not going to die until 545. So like 20 years after this, mm. at about the age of 70. Damn. And she's buried next to Clovis. Oh. Yeah. So about 533, Theodoric gets sick and dies. Theodoric, the older brother. Oh, yeah. So his son, Theodobert, succeeds him. And he gives Childebert and Clothar gifts to stop them from challenging his succession. Silver dish? Yeah. Luckily, Theodobert has managed to make it to adulthood before he became king. Um, And Childebert goes a step further. Uh, Clothar has been having sons, but Childebert has only been having daughters. So Childebert decides to adopt Theodobert as his heir. Oh. Yeah. Theodobert is apparently a very good king. He's very kind to the church and the poor, which Gregory loves and goes on and on about. (laughs) So Childebert's like, yeah, he seems good. So we're going to team up together. So now. Them against. Yeah. Clothar's looking like when Childebert dies and they're sort of aging at this point. Yeah then that means Theodobert is going to have most of the Frankish kingdom um, and I just have this little bit of land. Yeah. He's like, that's not going to do. No. And as if this wasn't bad enough for Clothar, Theodobert and Childebert then proceed to march against him to take his kingdom right now. Oh. Uh, thankfully, St. Martin sends a hailstorm to stop them. Woo! <laughs> Good old weather. So that's a lucky break for Clo- Clothar. Clothar and his brother need a common enemy. And they choose the Visigoths, who have been treating their sister badly, remember? Yeah. So she's in Spain, not having a good time. So they go on a big raid into Spain and they plunder the city of Zaragoza. Yeah. And they bring back, quote, great spoils. Because <laughs> they don't want to conquer that land. It's a bit, you know. It's, it's over- a hassle. Yeah, it's over the Pyrenees Mountains. It's like a bit far away. Just go there, plunder some, and get your sister back. So Clotilda Jr. was rescued. But sadly, on the way home, she died of illness on the journey back to Paris. So Childebert brings her remains back to Paris for burial. After that, they go on a similar raiding vacation (laughs) against the (laughs) Ostrogoths in Italy. Um, But this time they bring Theodobert. And, quote, Childebert, being envious of King Clothar and deceitful, joined with Theodobert, his nephew, and they divided the gold between them and refused to give any of it to King Clothar. But he made an attack upon the treasures of Clodomer and took much more from them than that which they had defrauded him. Mm. <clears throat> so remember Clodomer, they sort of divided his lands. Yeah. Um, Clothar's like, well, if you don't give me this loot that we got from the raid in Italy, I'm just going to yoink these lands up here in the north. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in 547, there's another death. Guess who dies? Who? Theodobert, the young nephew, um, dies, and um. he's succeeded by his very young son, Theodobald. Ah. <laughs> but this son is sickly, and he dies in 555, oh. leaving no children and a widow named Waldrada, who apparently Clothar seduces. <laughs> so Clothar is a little fox. He's 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 doing all this seducing. How did he have any other time to deal with I his relatives know. when he's doing that? So he's now seduced his great niece by marriage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so his so um, Theodobert has the kingdom based in Metz, so like the eastern-ish kingdom, which is going to become known as Austrasia. Mm-hmm. Austrasia just meaning the eastern kingdom, not Australia. Um, 
And guess who he passed his kingdom to? Not Clothar? Yes, Clothar. Oh, wow, yeah. surprising. He Apparently, finally gave up. Clothar, while he was seducing his wife, was sort of also getting into Theodobald's good books. Um, so, you know, Clothar, sometimes he employs murder, sometimes he employs diplomacy, and, you know, seems to have worked out for him. Mm. So Clothar didn't just take the land, he also slept with Wardrum. He may have had a child with her, uh, but his bishops objected to this match. So he married her off to one of his dukes. Okay. It's like, you can have my sloppy seconds. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. Hopefully she'd have been time with the dukes then. Yeah. However it worked out, Childebert is mad. Mm. So it's now just Childebert versus Clothar. Yeah. And while Clothar is off dealing with a rebellion from his Saxon tributaries way in the northeast, yeah. which we will we will get to that in On Guard, Childebert, quote, ravages Clothar's territory as far as Rance, uh, so that all across uh, the middle of France, he's, like, doing some raiding. Um, not good. Yeah. Um, Clothar's not going to be happy. And he teams up with, so Clothar's sons are now grown. Yeah. Childebert teams up with one of Clothar's sons called Cram. Stupid Cram. Cram. An easy name to remember, though. Yeah, I think Gregory calls him Cramness. Cramness. Sounds a bit like Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go Cram. But just as things are looking bad for Clothar, Childebert dies of old age. Yay! On the 13th of December, 15, no, 1558. 558. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Henry VIII. <laughs> um, so Clothar now inherits everything. He's becoming. Like, yes. King of all the Franks. So we count his official reign from this point. So how old is he at this point? He's an old he's an old-ish. Like I think 40s? he's like 40s, yeah. Okay. Um so now the only family members that Clothar needs to worry about are his yeah. own sons, <laughs> <laughs> who are getting a bit old. So Cram, Cram is the troublemaker. Oh here. yeah, the black sheep. He's already rebelled against his father and he's fled to Brittany, the Jolly Celts. That's <laughs> where they are. And then their ruler is called Count. Chinuba. 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 Uh, and so Cram goes there with his wife and daughters, takes his family with him. Clothar defeats Cram and the Bretons in battle. And then he deals a heavy punishment to Cram. Does he let him live? No. Oh. He doesn't even let his wife and daughters live. Gosh. Cram was, quote, stretched out on a bench and strangled with a towel, but not to death. He was then locked up in a hut with his wife and daughters and the hut was set on fire. God. That's how they died. And to death. Yeah. Clothar himself dies shortly after. Oh. Of natural causes. There is a very somber passage from Gregory at the end of his life, which starts off with possibly the longest sentence I've ever read. <laughs> These Latin writers, they write long sentences with a lot of clauses. God, as a teacher, I'd hate that. I'm always like to my kids, stop yeah. adding the word and. So this is after I've, ed- I've even edited the sentence down to make it make sense <laughs> a bit more. So here's the long sentence. <clears throat> In the 51st year of his reign, King Clothar set out from the door of the Blessed Martin with many gifts and coming to the saint's tomb at Tours and repeating all the deeds he had perhaps done heedlessly and praying with loud groaning that the blessed confessor of God would obtain God's forgiveness for his faults and by his intercession blot out what he had done contrary to reason, 
Clothar then went away, and in the 51st year of his reign, which we already said at the start of the sentence, while hunting in the forest of Quiz, he was seized by a fever and returned thence to a villa in Compiègne. That's the end? That's the whole sentence. Mm. The quote continues. Uh, not as long as that sentence, but the quote continues. At Compiègne, mm-hmm. Clothar was painfully harassed by the fever and said, Alas! What do you think the king of heaven is like when he kills such great kings in this way? Laboring under his pain, he breathed his last, and his four sons carried him with great honor to Soissons and buried him in the church of Saint-Médard. He died the next day, the year after Cram had been slain. And that is the end of his life. Clothar's kingdom is divided among the four sons he did not brutally murder. Uh. In almost the exact same way his father divided things, but with the addition of Burgundy and Thuringia, the conquered territories that Clothar didn't even conquer. He just inherited. (laughs) So that's his life. Mm. So now I think it's time to pass judgment on this bad boy. Enchante. Okay. Here he is. Here's, for the Enchante round, here is an image of Clothar. Okay. Which will be our episode icon. Okay. Um, first reactions. Um. Oh, let's see. I'll describe him. Yeah, describe so him. So in this picture, obviously wearing a, a nice crown. Yeah. So this is an anonymous 19th century depiction of him. Yeah, he has luscious black locks. Yeah, amazing cheekbones. Yeah, really good cheekbones, actually. And what's he doing in this picture? Lounging around, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I'm just sitting on my chair. Yeah. He's got kind of a Roman sort of vibe, toga sort of thing on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a huge beard, which is not very Roman. but Yeah. And he's got a scepter, just like Clovis did. But he doesn't have a um, Clovis. You couldn't really see it in Clovis's, but he had like a sword that he was holding. Yeah. Um, But he doesn't have that. He's just kind of lounging. Um, Well, that's probably what he loved doing more than fighting. Yeah. Well, (laughs) we'll get. and sleeping. We'll get into that, but he's he looks very sort of like cold and calculating and a bit almost devious. We also have a contemporary thing. This is the head of a statue from his crypt in the Ooh. church of Saint-Médard in Soissons. When was that made? Um, around the time he died. Oh, that's cool. I, I believe. That's so, better than. Yeah, we've got a little head. It's it's not very distinctive. Kind of, looks But it like, does have the beard. It's got a beard. Locks. Yeah, got the locks. Actually, oh, I'll have to double check if that's actually from the... 6th century, but um, it's thereabouts. But, yeah, we are using this 19th century thing. It's what comes up when you Google Clothar. Um, So, but that's that's just about all I've got for the Enchante. There's not much else. Yeah. He's not very um, iconic in the way that Clovis was with his, like, baptism depictions and the Salic law depictions, which are, like, throughout medieval art. Yeah. Clothar doesn't come a lot. Up a lot in medieval art. So I do not know why. He's great locks. He's got really gorgeous locks. Yeah. Again, I guess they all will. Luscious locks. Yeah. They've they're from this point on, a lot of them are depicted with these like luscious dark they locks. They really were good at maintaining their hair. They really did. They had some great shampoo. There's some great sixth century shampoo. I wish probably my made hair of, was that gorgeous. Probably made of wee or something. I don't know. Wee <laughs> <laughs> wee. <laughs> so Score-wise, this might be a bit tricky. Yeah. 
Oh, I need to open Well, I like statue. that this time we actually have like a statue mm. that's more closer to the time period rather than just a painting. Yeah. Because did we have one for Clovis? No, not really. No, I didn't think so. So um, There was a carving from the later Frankish period, but yeah. I didn't really count that. It was kind of just similar to all the baptism yeah. depictions. For Oshante, he's going to get like a point or two just for the locks mainly. And I kind of like how he just looks like, because you know how they're usually really formal, like real looking? He kind of yeah. looks like he's just leaning back and like, yeah. I think part of the enchante for me is because we are using images that are not from the period that are like yeah, depictions of them from like 19th century, like romantic painters. Yeah. I think an important consideration for me is like, how well does this capture like the spirit of the monarch? And I think it captures him pretty well. Yeah. Because he's not like Clovis. He's, like, rushing headlong into battle and, like, doing all these things and, like, really determined. He's more just sitting back and waiting for things to happen. And he likes his pleasure. He likes his pleasure. He's outliving all of his brothers. Um, yeah. This is our 10. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it should be too big uh, because yeah. we do have that nice effigy. Yeah. But I don't think it's enough because all of them would have had effigies. It's just yeah. lucky that this one survives. Yeah. So. I'm thinking three. Three? Three. Okay. You gave Clovis a three point. No, I gave Clovis a 3.5. You gave Clovis a 2.5. So you're going slightly higher than Clovis. Yeah. Okay. I... He just looks like someone I'd rather hang around with. Like I... to choose out of the two. Really? He looks a bit. Devious. Maybe it would be fun. He looks fun. Yeah, you could have a feast with him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go, because he doesn't have anything really iconic, I'm going to go three, which is the same as yours. But it's less than I gave for Clovis. So you're giving slightly more than you gave for Clovis. I'm giving slightly less. Because you were really underwhelmed by Clovis. Yeah. Where I'm not getting that impression from you now. Yeah, I like this one. I think it's just because I like, you know, it's more interesting when yeah okay well that was pretty short let's move on to on guard so that's uh six for enchante which is the same as what clovis got (laughs) on guard okay let's hear it all okay so we've got a lot of stories of him participating in foreign wars that his elder brothers led but he never seems to have sort of instigated or led any himself uh while when he was killing his son well we'll talk about that um but that was more of a sort of defensive rebellion type okay. war. Like he's not going out and being like, I'm going to conquer new territories. I'm going to raid people and stuff like that. He's, he's quite passive. I think. Yeah. Um, he's fine playing the waiting game. Yeah. Uh, at one point after he inherits the Eastern Frank Frankish kingdom of Austrasia though, Clothar gets news from trouble in the Northeast with his new Saxon vassals. So, well, they're not really vassals. They're like, they're like another Germanic tribe that they've sort of had dealings with a little bit in the background. And the Saxons need to give them tribute for like, you know, protection. Yeah. And they did But there's a, there's a rather disastrous in- incident with Clothar and the Saxons. So Gregory tells us that the Saxons were, quote, contemptuously refusing to pay the tribute, which they had been accustomed to pay every year. So they'd been paying... Theodoric and Theodobert tribute, but now they're not paying Clothar the same tribute. Mm. 
Aroused by these reports, Clothar hastened towards their country, and when he was near their boundary, the Saxons sent legates to him, saying, We are not treating you contemptuously, and we do not refuse to pay what we have usually paid to your brothers and nephews, and we will grant even more if you ask for it. We ask for only one thing, that there be peace, so that your army and people shall not come into conflict. So maybe, like, Clothar's been misinformed? I don't know. King Clothar heard this and said to his followers, These men speak well. Let us not go against them for fear that we sin against God. But Clothar's followers said, We know that the Saxons are deceitful and will not do at all what they have promised. Let us go against them. Again, the Saxons offered half of their property in their desire for peace. And Clothar said to his men, Give over, I beg you from these men, lest the anger of God be kindled against us. But the Franks would not agree to it. The Franks really want to go to war against the Saxons. Yes, they've been missing out. Yeah. They're missing the bloodthirst. Yeah. Again, the Saxons brought garments, cattle, and every kind of property, saying, take all this together with half our land. Only let our wives and little ones remain free, and let not war arise between us. But the Franks were unwilling to agree even to this. And King Clothar said to his men, Give over, I beseech you. Give over from this purpose. Do not get into a war in which we may be destroyed. If you decide to go off on your own will, I shall not follow. Then the Franks were enraged at King Clothar and rushed upon him and tore his tent in pieces and overwhelmed him with abuse and dragged him about violently and wished to kill him if he would not go with them. Upon this, Clothar went with them, though unwillingly. And the Franks began to battle and were slaughtered in great numbers by their Saxon adversaries. So great a multitude from both sides perished that it was impossible to estimate or count them. Then Clothar, in great confusion, asked for peace, saying that it was not of his own will that he had come against them. And having obtained peace, he returned home. That was a bit underwhelming. Yeah, it's a bit of a stalemate with the Saxons. Well, I feel like both sides kind of lost. Makes him seem like a poor leader, and he can't like he can't influence his men to not fight. Absolutely, and it's very unclear whether the Saxons ended up paying tribute after this. Yeah, so it kind of achieved nothing. When we talked about some of those earlier little things he did, it was well because other people suggested, it and he was just like, okay. Well, we'll get into that. Um, but we've definitely Clothar is definitely actively plotting. Yeah. Um, to okay. get rid of his nephews, and he's buying his time until he eventually inherits land. But he's just not very proactive. I don't get the sense that he's pro- He's not mm. doing anything. He just like kind of gets lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like with the hailstorm, like he doesn't actually beat the army; they just get beaten back. Yeah. And Gregory is painting this all in a really good light <laughs> because Gregory. Guess who's paying Gregory? The descendants of Clothar. Ah. Uh. So. You know, Gregory's not going to say anything too bad about him, but it's all kind of pathetic to me. Yeah. So what are we going to give him for on guard? There is a thing where he beats his son's rebellion, but, like, his son, should his son have been rebelling in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, if he was, like, a really good, like, king of Allah, his son would not rebel. <laughs> yeah. He does, in the, so it's a really complicated thing where at the end he does end up with more land that Clovis had. So it is an improvement on the yeah. last generation, but he doesn't really earn it. Yeah. He kind of just gets it based on the efforts of his brothers. And we're not raiding his brothers because they weren't kings of all the Franks. True. Uh, is that all the info we have for this section? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, it's obviously not 
on guard is not just about battles. Yeah. It's about gaining your own personal power through plotting. Yeah. But I think there's not enough. mm, It just really makes him seem so unappealing, this. Like. Yeah, but he is doing things, which yeah. is more than we're going to be able to say for a lot of kings. True. Um, he is biding his time. Arguably, like it all works out well in the end. Yeah, it's not like he's, like, necessarily failing or, like, yeah. making bad, like, decisions. He's just, like, weighing it up for so long that it eventually works out. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of like what I do with when I have a problem. I just wait for it to go away. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I hope it goes away. Um, so it's not atrocious. Yeah, but it's not. He's not lose. I think, I mean, what do you want to give him? What are you thinking? I don't think you can get more than five. I'm thinking like a square five. I was thinking more like four. Because he's not losing territory. Yeah, so he gets the points for not losing it, but he didn't really, like, you know, come on, he got beat by his own men, like. Okay. That shows his character. Yeah. He's not like. He did get beat by his own man. That and, is like, shows bad. that he's not a presence that they specifically are going, I really want to follow you. Like, yeah. It's more like they're just like, okay, like, you know, but we know we can, like, you know, I mean, override you. Override four you. out of his five sons are loyal to him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, did Clovis have an unloyal son? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with four. Okay. You're going to do four. Yeah. Um, just because he didn't lose ground, I'm going to do five. Okay. Just because he didn't make things worse. Yeah. Because I feel like if it goes below five, it means it's making things worse. Just, But that's me. You don't have to follow that. Yeah. Well, I just um, think he should have lost a point so solely he, from being like, seemed like, like a weak. Yeah. In terms of letting his men decide. Yeah. So that's nine for on guard. Voulez-vous? So voulez-vous, would you like to be a subject? I feel like I need to explain that every time because this is the least clear name of all the rounds. <laughs> okay. So apparently he tried and failed to tax the church. Okay. So his father was giving the church all of these tax exemptions that yeah. we talked about. And he was like, eh, it's not very. Yeah. So quote, King Clothar had ordered all the churches of his kingdom to pay into his treasury a third of their revenues. That seems fair. Mm-hmm. But when all the other bishops, though grudgingly had agreed to this and signed their names, the blessed, Injuriosus uh, scorned the command and manfully refused to sign, saying, if you attempt to take the things of God, the Lord will take away your kingdom speedily because it is wrong for your storehouses to be filled with the contributions of the poor whom you yourself ought to feed. Injuriosus was irritated with the king and left his presence without saying farewell. (laughs) Oh, God, how rude. Then the king was alarmed, and being afraid of the power of the blessed St. Martin, he sent after Injuriosus with gifts, praying for pardon and admitting the wrongfulness of what he had done, and asking that the bishop pray for him in order to appease the wrath of St. Martin. So instead of attacking the church, he ends up giving more gifts yeah, to the church. Going, is, this, is the church really giving that to the poor? Well, or I think it's, all of it to the poor. No, it's the other way around. The poor is giving money to the church. And what's the church doing? Like, <laughs> you know. So you're not on the church's side. No, I'm getting not, that vibe. Church, not for this. I mean, the church in this time is. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're know. evil at this time. Yeah. I mean, they're everything's corrupt. Yeah, but 
the church is kind of a barrier between the people and the just crazy pillaging of yeah. the, you know, of the um, crazy Franks with axes that have decided yeah. to make camp in this land. So, I don't know. And uh, a major point for Vulevu is that there is internal peace in yeah. Kothar's realms. Yeah. Except for that little blip where his son yeah. rebelled against him. And also the blip where exactly. Childebert was raiding in his lands. Oh, yeah. And the thing with the Saxons was kind of off. Yeah. But a lot of men died from that. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's horrible. Yeah. Because the kingdom doesn't fall apart. Technically it gets bigger. But nothing gets improved. Yeah, it's just so, like. Dale. We don't. We really don't have that much in this yeah. round. Like he doesn't introduce new laws or that we know of. Yeah, and the one he time was, he did, he failed. Yeah, he was probably going around administering justice because that's what all the kings do. Yeah, but that's what all the kings do. Yes, yeah, so it's not like he's doing a step above. Just because he is doing things, I'm going to give him a couple points because we're going to get to some kings that do nothing. <laughs> yeah. I can't give him above a five. 3. Yeah, point five. Three point five. Yeah, I think we're three point five. You love a point five, don't you? Yeah. Okay, well, I go three. <laughs> three? Just yeah, three? Three. Um, I didn't know why I wanted to give the point I think five. I might agree and say three. Because, like, yeah, things aren't falling apart, but he's not doing much. So yeah. three out of ten from each of us. So that's a six for Voulez-vous. Ooh la la. Okay. So ooh la la. There are a number of quite shocking incidents for which Clothar I is directly responsible. Um, so after Cloth- Clotilda decides she'd rather have her grandsons, Clodomer's sons, killed than not see them be kings, so when she chooses the sword rather than the shears, Clothar and Childebert do the deed personally in order to claim their birthright, the kingdom of Orléans. So Clothar, th- this is a quote from Gregory of Tours, Clothar seized the older boy by the arm and dashed him to the earth, and plunging his hunting knife into his side, he killed him pitilessly. And while the child was screaming, his brother threw himself at Childebert's feet and seized his knees and said, Help me, kind uncle, lest I perish like my brother. Then Childebert, his face covered with tears, uh, uh, turned to Clothar and said, Dearest brother, I ask you grant his life to me in your generosity, and let me pay for his life what you wish. Only let him not be killed. So Childebert's got clo- got cold feet. Yeah, he was one of his suggestions. Yeah. Job, like, <laughs> can't actually go through the deed. Um. Well, that, that's what Clothar says. <laughs> so Clothar attacked Childebert with abuse. He smacks him on the head and said, "Cast him from you, or you shall surely die in his place. It is you that are guilty, the guilty instigator of this matter." Do you so easily break faith? Childebert heeded this and cast the boy away from him to Clothar, who seized the boy and plunged his knife into his side and slew him as he had his brother before. Then they killed the servants and the tutors. (laughs) So everyone in the house is dead. Um, When they were all dead, Clothar mounted his horse and went off, making a small matter of the killing of his nephews. Childebert retired to the outskirts of the city. The queen, so the boy's mother, Gunthic, who is now also married to Clothar, placed their little bodies on a bier and followed them to the church of St. Peter with loud singing and unbounded grief and buried them side by side. One was ten years old, the other seven. 
But the third son, Clodowald, uh, the uncles were unable to seize since he was freed by the aid of brave men. Clodowald gave up his earthly kingdom and passed to the Lord's service, and cutting his hair with his own hand, he became a clerk, busied with good works, and as a priest passed from this life. So this third son, Clodowald, uh, becomes Saint Cloud, oh. or Saint Clou in French, and uh, we get a lot of place names from him, like Saint Martin and Saint Remy, so he's very important. Um, then we've got the marriages of Clover <laughs> the first. Um, he marries a total of either five or six women. Damn. Um, half of these marriages are controversial in some way. <laughs> he also has at least one illegitimate child, a son called Gundabald. Um, but he's not that very important. Um, so first of all, we've got Gunthic, his brother's widow, which is kind of incest in church terms, whose sons he also murders. Uh, <laughs> and they don't have any kids, I think, for obvious yes, reasons. Yes, obviously. Then we've got Radagund, the Thuringian princess he captured, who is also possibly his second cousin because his grandmother was a Thuringian princess, Bessina. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's kind of actual incest. Um, <laughs> also potential bigamy because he seems to have married her while he was still married to Gunthuk. Oh. Um, and he could have been married to all of these women at the same time. We don't know. <laughs> Um, so Clothar and Rad- Radagon don't have kids either because Radagon insists on remaining a virgin and she's considered a very holy woman um, and she gives most of her food to the poor. And after many disputes with Clothar, she's eventually allowed to go retire at a monastery and she becomes Saint Radagund, one of the patron saints of France. Oh. Um, so there's another saint. <laughs> <laughs> popping up everywhere. Yeah, it's like saints are a, di- a dime a dozen in the dark True. ages. Like, if you did anything sort of pious, you're a saint. Um, and you and if you were royal, you know. You're definitely going to be a saint. Definitely going to be a saint. Because guess who's paying the church for the sainthoods? Who? Your descendants. <laughs> <laughs> So then we've got Ingund, who we don't know where she comes from, uh, but she has five known sons, three of whom survive, and one known daughter. Um, and then we've got her sister, Aragund, who also marries Clothar. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and Aragund, we actually have her tomb was oh. found, um, which I think your mum mentioned. Yes, had the um, jewels and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so Eliza's mum listens to the, I think it's the History Gems podcast. Yes. Yeah. And they talked about Aragund or Aragunda's tomb. Yeah, in one of their episodes, because yeah. they look at, like, jewels from around the world. Yeah. A lot of them are from royalty, because royalty jewels remain. Yeah. So, and Aragund's son is called Chilperic, and we may talk about him a little bit next episode. Hmm. Um, so, then we've got Chancina, who's probably Cram's mother. Oh, okay. Um, who rebels and dies horribly. And maybe Waldrada, his great-nephew Theobald, Theodobald's widow. Oh. So okay. his niece, his great-niece by marriage. And Gregory says Cram is, is Waldrada's son, but historians doubt this. They don't think Waldrada was actually married to Clothar. Um, but we don't know. Either way, it's kind of scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to the perhaps the most horrible thing Clothar ever did, which was burn his own son alive. Um, along with his daughter-in-law and his granddaughters. God. Um, so brutal. Yeah. And according to Gregory, this was a just punishment for Cram rebelling against his father. <laughs> just punishment? Just. Like, it's like not just Cram, but no, let's kill all the others as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Wicked. So what's he going to get for <laughs> Ooh La La? He's going to get really high for this. Like, Colin, there's nerd. He's like cooking up with sisters. Yeah. You know, constantly marrying multiple people. Yeah. Marrying loads of distant relatives or pep somethings and whatnot. Yeah. And we're now in the stage or where animals. polygamy is actually scandalous yeah. and that's technically yeah. illegal. And, like, killing his nephew. Like, <laughs> like, killing his own son and, like, grandchildren. And we get some nice, gruesome, gory Game yeah. of Thronesy details yeah. from uh, from Gregory, which shows that Clovis was, like, the the main leader in this stuff. Like, he yeah. wasn't just going along for the ride because Childebert like, suggested that he's like, I'm following through with this. Yeah, it's like, we've already started this. We've got to finish this. Yeah, exactly. Brutal, uh, but, you know. Very brutal. He's going to get very high scores for this. Yeah. It's not completely unhinged that takes a village to raise a child and if that village is a burning hellscape in the dark ages then i can see why a child would turn out like this why so many would die <laughs> but it's gonna be high for the nephews he'll definitely get a few just because like colin they were literally begging mm. and this we're gonna continue to like yeah on. they were begging so hard that the guy who started it was like, like I don't want- <clears throat> so what are you gonna give definitely above five mm-hmm I'm thinking, like, eight. I was thinking exactly yeah. eight as well. Do we want to lock that in? Yeah, I'm going to do eight. Okay, so that's a 16. Yeah. The Fion Throne. So, his length of reign, he ruled his petty kingdom in Soissons for 55 years. Damn. His actual reign was just short of three years. About, oh, wow. About the same amount as Clovis. So, his score for length of reign is 4.94. Okay. He had nine recorded children. Okay. But one was illegitimate. Yeah. And three he outlived. Okay. Three died before he died, including Cram. So yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> he's got, by Ingund, he's got Charibert. Yeah. Who becomes the king of Paris and Aquitaine. Okay. We've got Guntram, who becomes the king of Burgundy and Orleans. Mm-hmm. We've got Sigebert, who becomes the king of Austrasia. Mm-hmm. So Metz and Rams. And Auvergne. We've got Clothsind, a daughter who married King Alboin of the Lombards. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into who the Lombards yeah. are. Um, and by Aragund, who's Ingun's sister, yeah. <laughs> he had Chilperic, who becomes King of Soissons. Okay. Uh, and who we will keep an eye on for next time. Um, so that is a score of 8.44 for the family. Mm. Um, so there's a Vion Throne score of 13.4. Oh. Um, which gives him a total score of 50.4. Mm. So a smidgen, a smidgen above Clovis. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Because I don't know if he's going to get through this next bit. <laughs> is he fascinating enough? Entertaining enough? Majestic? Fabulous? Irresistible enough to be released from our dungeon? To go through to the Battle Royale tournament? And to be spared the guillotine. I don't know. I'm a bit like, because like on one hand, like, oh, that scandal, that very good, very juicy. It's but very the juicy. other half bit is just like, sometimes he seemed a bit weak, like in <coughs> terms of like, you know, I feel those subjects could sometimes rule him. Mm. And like most of the time it was just him waiting. Like he wasn't very. Yeah. Like much proactive like sure even killing the nephews it wasn't though like, him who suggested it so so this, he went yeah. through with it so there's gonna be one where he's 
uh, I think Clovis we spared because he was just a really good king. Yeah. Um, this one we might spare because he was just a badass. This is in the badass category. <laughs> but was he a badass? That's the thing. Was he just so an opportunist? Who... I think he feels like he's more opportunist because, like, if he was a fully badass, like, pe- like person, that he would have done a bit like more, been more active. I feel yeah, like. he would have struck fear into his 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 army. Yeah, and stuff. like he wouldn't have got beat by his own men. Yeah, his men weren't afraid of him. Yeah, and like enough. Yeah, yeah. I can't give it to him. I'd love to because that's scandal and stuff. But I just feel the rest doesn't. Okay, I agree with you. Okay. We're sending him to the guillotine. Oh, I've been waiting to use that guillotine. (laughs) (laughs) Othar, sorry, just didn't make the cut. Sorry, if you'd done a bit more, probably would have. So... To cap it off, we want to thank Rex Factor for inspiration, of course. Go to them for the kings and queens of England and Scotland. And to Taos Rankium and Pontifax, who also helped inspire us. And thanks to just everyone. Yeah. Our social media launch has gone really well. We're recording this a bit after we've gone public with our announcement and everything. Um, And we are- This has been good. We've overwhelmed by the support from our personal friends- from more established podcasts. Yep, from strangers who we don't know. Yeah, we got we got retweeted by a bunch of other podcasts, yeah. so that's lovely. And a lot of people that joined on top, um, like Facebook group saying that they heard it from those tweets. Yeah, and we passed 100 Twitter followers yesterday. Yay! Yeah, so... So hopefully by the time you hear this, we'll have more than 100. Yeah, and no one's even listened yet. So, yeah, so, so you still guys have a while So I hope, I hope we live up to everyone's expectations, but... They I, enjoy what we're saying. And I mean... Um, you know, you can always argue against what we're saying. It'll say why you think we should have or should not have given yeah. him the guillotine. Yeah. So there's going to be a bit of a delay in our response to the feedback and stuff yeah. um, because we are recording our first Merovingian Kings a few weeks in advance just to get a bulk up because... We um, don't know what's going to happen in life. We don't know what's going to happen in life. I'm going to be busy with my dissertation for, like, most of July um, because it's due in August. So... And so when you're hearing this, wish him luck. Yeah, wish me luck. But I've already done all the research for the Merovingians. So I figure do it, get it out of the way. And then I can have a good research break for the Carolingians, the next dynasty. Spoiler alert. Um, But yeah, still, even though we won't get, probably get around to your message for a while, get in, get with touch, get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and I've turned into a huge Twitter junkie over the last week. So I and typically respond with tweets very quickly. Yeah. And I'll try and be more on top of that because since in July, he'll be so busy and that's when we'll be yeah. releasing our episodes. So and you'll, be, you'll more, be hearing more from me. Yeah, you'll be more active on Facebook and yeah. Insta, right? Yeah, Facebook yeah. and Instagram. So if you want to ask any question. And hopefully we, soon we can drum up enough support and enthusiasm to monetize the podcast. Um, but not, just, that is, not that if that is our goal. Eh? No. And the podcast will always be free. Yeah. The, the main podcast. But we may think of having some bonus content like Rex Spectre has. Oh, I should also talk about our hype poll, which is oh, on our yeah. Facebook group. Yeah. Um, so we started that. And I tweeted it a bit. So our hype poll is basically, what king are you most excited about? Charlemagne is winning and he's been winning since the beginning. Okay. Well, that, then again, that's one people really know. That's, you know, I'm surprised like the Sun King is not. like. Or, he's coming second. So okay, <laughs> Louis the Fourteenth is coming second and then third is Napoleon. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, everyone knows. Like, yeah. So, 
Um, obviously, we won't get to Louis the Fourteenth or Napoleon for for quite a while. while. But Charlemagne will probably get to his episode. Yeah, that will probably come out in like November ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so if you're looking forward to that episode, you yeah listen to us till November. I think he's one that like. Obviously, everyone's heard of Charlemagne. Yeah, but not quite. Like, but they you wanna, know the name, but you don't You want to learn more about exactly. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, please visit our WordPress site. I'm going to put supplemental materials on there. I'm going to put the family tree of Clothar because it got a, it starts to get a bit complicated and everyone's names are a bit complicated. Um, but there's going to be a nice, simple, easy to follow family tree. And there's also going to be a map of the different territories. So you can mm-hmm. keep track of that a bit. If you're Does really it change a bit. Yeah. I think I explained it in a nice simple way that didn't get too into the nitty-gritty. But if you really want to get into that nitty-gritty, you can. Um and we'll be posting up on the Instagram and all the um pictures that we're using as reference for each of our rulers. Yep. And email us at battle royale podcast. Sorry, battle royale pod at gmail.com. Don't have the cast bit. And so that's gonna be au revoir from me. Goodbye from me. We oui, will. Oui.